Good evening and welcome to our show, your show, The Gospel Watch, brought to you by The Narrow Gate Project. Like last week, um, your normal moderator is off again today, but he will be back next week by the grace of God. I'm standing on his behalf and I'm Mr. Adimola Adebayo. Greetings from Pastor Tolumogaji as well, but he'll be back next week. If you want details of this program, you can go to our website on www.narrowgateproject.org.uk. That's www.narrowgateproject.org.uk. There you'll find details of this program and other things that might be interest of you. Um, I started this series last week called The New Wine of Salvation. There we looked at um, John chapter 2 from verses 1 to 5. And this week, I'll be bringing you the concluding part of that series. But let me just um, pray before we start today's action. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We give you praise, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to look into your word and to speak wisdom. Father, we pray, Lord, that let it be your name that will be glorified this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me read from John chapter 2, and I'll take it from verse 6 to 11. And there was, and there were set there six six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firstkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servant which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now, last week, there was one mistake I made. I didn't give you a mini background to this um, thing. You know, the ways that Jews celebrated um, marriage ceremonies is slightly different from the way we do it today. You know, it was a feast that could last for up to a week. And the absence of wine is a kind of like a shame on the family. So, what Jesus Christ did here was more than a miracle, turning water into wine. You know, he managed to cover the shame of those that were getting married. But let me recap on the first two points I made last week. The first one was Jesus Christ took what was of no value and filled it with joy. The wedding organized a drawn of wine, which in the Old Testament is a symbol of joy. He emptied the jars, the content based on apostate Judaism, and filled it with a symbol of joy, demonstrating that joy that can only be found in him. And the second point is, he took what did not bring purification and replaced it with a symbol of what does bring purification. So those are the two points. Now let's go on to the third. The third point is, he took what represented a great burden and instead provided what represents a great deliverance. He took what represented a great burden and instead provided what represents a great deliverance. 
The blood of Jesus Christ provides deliverance to those who trust in him. We are born both defiled and in bondage. That's true. You know, because the Bible says that we're born in sin. So we're completely defiled. We're in complete bondage to sin and to the devil. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross is able to remove this defilement. You know, many people go out. They try to clean themselves. They try to wash themselves in what they call holy rivers and things like that. But these don't wash sin. You know, the sin still remains there. It's only the blood of Jesus that is capable of washing our sins away. It's his blood that God looks at when he sees us once we believe and become born-again Christians. The blood of Jesus Christ has set those who put their trust in him free from bondage, free from the curse that comes with our sin nature. You know, the Bible says that those who are in sin are cursed. You know, if you remember last week, and if you listened to the broadcast for last week, you remember that I quoted Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. It says that all those who try to keep the law are under a curse. And the more we try to keep the law, the more we realize that we're breaking it. And we can never keep God's law to his satisfaction. Because God's standard is absolute perfection. That's what he requires. See, all religions that exist, apart from genuine, evangelical, Bible-believing Christianity, represents religious bondage and sin. You see, what religion is, is it's an attempt by man to reach God. That's what religion is. You know, ask a Muslim, ask a religious Catholic, ask a religious Protestant, ask a um, Hindu, every one of them. What they tell you is that they're trying to please God. They're trying to do God's will. That's what religion does. But you see, Bible-believing Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ has sacrificed, he's paid that price on the cross. And that's where we get our salvation. It's true, that sacrifice. And so what that does is that it's removed us from the bondage of sin. An example of such can be seen in the transition of washing with water from the jar. This is the type of religion that required people to wash themselves with the water contained in those jars. But as I said, these water, they never ever cleanse people from their sins. Rather, they made them more angry. It made God more angry with them. The religion we knew before we were converted was a burdensome religion. Completely burdensome. It's a religion that requires us to do, 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 do. Without any hope of knowing whether we've done enough. It's like running a race to the moon. And not knowing whether you've qualified for whatever requirements you need to get a prize. So maybe you're told to run a marathon. There is no definition of the course or how far the marathon is. And you're running all along and you're not even sure if you're still in the race. That's what burdensome religion is. But through Jesus Christ, we have redemption for our sins. We have forgiveness for our sins. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 27. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. I'll quote one very important scripture from that verse. Again, I repeat. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, 
Blessed is the womb that bear thee, and the paps which thou have sucked. Now, this is a woman trying to, to give praise to Holy Mary. You know, that's what the Catholics do. They give praise to Holy Mary. But listen to what Christ said. For he said, you rather bless are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You see, hearing God's word and obeying it, believing it, is those who are blessed. But there has to be a beginning. And the key point here is you need to hear the gospel, obey the gospel, and that's where your blessing begins. Because that's where forgiveness of sin lies. You could do other things, but if you don't obey the gospel, you're really wasting your time. So it was a burdensome religion. In fact, most if not all of these things were complete abomination unto God. So the attempts by the Jews to make themselves holy, to make themselves clean, was completely abomination. God hated it. And in fact, they were actually making God angry by these sins. I mean, let me give you a very instance in the, in the same book I've just read, Luke chapter 16 this time. And let's say I start from verse 14. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, held all these sins, and they derided him. Now, what did they deride him for? Well, you go to the previous verse, verse 13. It says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold up to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That's what he said. And the Pharisees, guess what? They hated him. But guess how he replied in verse 15. And he said unto him, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. You are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. For what that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination unto God. So by trying to live a good life, by trying to impress men, what you are doing is you are annoying God. You are making God angry with you. And to be quite honest, what you're storing up for yourself is the wrath of God on the judgment day to come. Christ. You see, this is a sharp contrast to what Jesus Christ offers. Jesus Christ offers something different. I mean, look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy and burdened, for I will give you rest. So that burden of sin that holds you down, all you have to do is take it to the cross. Take it to Jesus Christ. And guess what? He will take that burden away from you. And what he will he give you? He will give you rest. I mean, if you look into one of John's epistles, I don't have time to go into details there. But it says that, guess what? To genuine Christians, God's laws are not burdensome. You know, they're lovely things to keep for genuine Christian. Maybe it's staying away from adultery to a genuine Christian. It's not burdensome. Maybe it's staying away from the nightclub to a genuine Christian. It's not burdensome. Maybe it's staying away from parties to a genuine Christian. It's not burdensome. You see, it's not burdensome for a genuine Christian to keep God's law. Why? Because God has changed the heart. See, it's a heart issue here. When Christ changes your heart, you begin to love the things God loves. You begin to hate the things God hates. Let's look at the final and fourth and final point. 
he has given us a preview of another wedding that will be celebrated in the future. The wedding of the Lamb. Wow. That is a day for all genuine Christians to look forward to. That's a wonderful day coming in which Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the ruler of the universe, the ancient of days, he will come on that day to come and marry his church. He will come to take his people into everlasting bliss, into eternal life. That is a wonderful day. And the Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now Christ says in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, let me paraphrase it, that he has gone to prepare a place for us, a place that is full of many mansions. And when the preparation is complete, he will come back to receive us to himself. Think about it. See what privileges a genuine born-again Christian has. That place, a house containing many mansions. I mean, all the money of Bill Gates can't buy it. All the money of this world can't buy it. No wealth in this world can buy what God has in store for those who love him. This miracle is a foreshadow of that marriage supper of the Lamb described in Revelations chapter 19, where the Apostle John narrates his vision of what happens on that great occasion. He says in verse 1 that, And after these things I heard a great voice of such people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. In verse 7 of that same chapter, that's Revelations chapter 19, in verse 7 it continues, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife had made herself ready. Are you ready for that wonderful day? Are you ready? Then in, chapter, in verse 9 he concludes, And he said to me, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow! Are you born again? Because if you are, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. While on earth, Christ brought joy to the groom and his family by miraculously making the best wine available to the guests. However, in this marriage supper of the Lamb, there will be no need to worry because everything will have been provided for. Christ would have provided for everything on that day. That wonderful day. Let me conclude this mini-series. This miracle points to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the chosen one of God. He has come to make a new way. He has come to do away with the old and reign in the new. He has come to surpass the law of Moses with grace and truth of the gospel. Now, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Because that's what he is. He is God manifested in flesh. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me show you a few verses in scripture that confirm this. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And let's go to verse 18. No, let's start from verse 17. Verse 17 to 20. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me 
to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened unto him. Verse 21, listen to this please. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So this was a prophecy given by Isaiah. Have a look in Isaiah chapter 61. You find that prophecy there. And this was pointing to the Messiah. And Jesus Christ walking on the face of the earth. Saying that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So Jesus Christ is God. But let me give you a second verse. Because you see the Bible says that by the mouth of two witnesses shall God's word be established. So let me give you a second one that points to Christ as the Messiah. Go to me in John chapter 1 verse 1. It says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now slide down a few verses to verse 14. And it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the ruler of the universe. He is the Lord of lords, the ancient of days. Do you believe him as your Messiah? If you don't, tragically, one day, you'll have to face him as your judge. And the Bible says... The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, How shall they escape 